Uh, this morning we're continuing in our series on uh, costly discipleship, and we're looking at Luke 10, uh, 25 to 37, uh, which as many of you know is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, so please turn with me uh, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and we will read uh, that passage together. Here we go. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of a robber? The expert in rule of war replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. I wonder, uh, I mean, as Australians, I think we all do, we love watching someone be taken down a notch. We really love the underdog, seeing them come through and the person who is expected to win knocked back one. Um, I might get in trouble for telling this, but... The other day, Em and I were I should preface this with Em is better than me at everything. Absolutely everything. I have one, one thing I'm better at, and it's directions. Uh, so the other day, we were driving in the mountains. We were going to a bushwalk. We took a turn. I had an open map. She said, I know where we're going. I went, okay, great. It's the first time, but let's do it. Um, so go left. All right. We were driving down this road. I had no idea where we were. And Em looks at me very smug and goes, you have no idea where we're going, do you? I was like, no, no idea. About three minutes later, she goes, oh, we're going the wrong way. And I said, I oh, know. So I really hold on to that, that there's this one thing, this one area that I still win. <laughs> but she does beat me in absolutely everything else. Um, you see, here in uh, the parable, we see a similar thing. We have an expert of the law, a proud man 
trying to test Jesus. And Jesus is going to bring him down a notch. Because the way the expert wants Jesus to answer is not how Jesus is going to answer. And we're going to see that Jesus actually answers in a far more powerful way. And through it, we're going to see this idea of costly inheritance. But it's not how you might expect. Or maybe uh, if it seems really obvious, it could be exactly how you expect. But you see, from the beginning, I think... Sometimes when we read the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's a really simple and clear message of just love your neighbour. Love your neighbour, act kind. But that's not the main point that Jesus is trying to get across. There is a lot more than just acting good that Jesus wants us to know. It's more about the orientation of our heart And you see, this all comes back to that first question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's start with our first point of what does it cost? Uh, As we just read in the first part of this narrative, there's a standoff between the expert of the law and Jesus. And the expert is trying to test Jesus. And we know that. It's written there. Jesus is being tested. But he knows exactly what's going on. You see, this isn't meant to be a helpful Q&A to learn. This is a trap. And so he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or uh, if you go back to the Greek, he actually is just saying, what one thing, what one thing must I do to make it. You see, he's not interested in an answer of deep change. He just wants one thing, one simple box that he can tick that will get him the right way. The whole question he's asking is off because, you see, inheritance isn't earned. It is given. Even inheritance was worked for, I would probably be working a lot harder to suck up to my parents. You see, Jesus sees straight through this trick and he doesn't answer it. Instead, he returns with a question, what do you think? What is written in the law? And like anyone uh, not truly listening to the person they're speaking to, Uh, ready to promote himself and talk himself up, he instantly answers very eloquently, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. So obvious. So I, I wouldn't have got that. But here he is. He knows the law. He knows exactly what he thinks is right. Jesus says, you're right. Go and do this and you will live. Go and love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you will live. And here's where the expert begins to trip up. 
You see, he's just made clear how he thinks it is to be safe, and in that moment, he's instantly failed because he's there to trick Jesus. He isn't interested in loving his neighbour. He's tricking his neighbour. He's come to test. He has contempt for Jesus. He doesn't love Jesus. And more so, Jesus is God, so he's not loving God. Whilst answering his own question, he's realised he's off. That it is truly hard to love God and his people with all his heart. That this is a costly requirement. In fact, it's impossible. And see, with him thinking in the back of his mind, maybe uh, this inheritance I'm working for is slipping away, he tries to justify himself with the question, and who is my neighbour? Who? He's heard what's required of him, and now he wants to put it in the simplest, clearest, easiest way for him to do it. He wants to justify his own actions. You see, like everyone else, he wants it in that box. Maybe, maybe my neighbour is just someone who lives in a certain radius. Maybe it's other Jewish people. Maybe it's just the other religious leaders who are in my class. Who? Who are my neighbours? But only tell me if they're the people I want to be neighbours to. It's... It's a truly disgusting question from a leader, from someone who is part of the Jewish teaching. So why would you want to limit your generosity and love just because it's convenient? Because you don't want it to be messy. You see, it's not an uncommon question for us either. Uh, In God's word, he tells us to read his Bible, to spend time in the word, to know and grow. So how often should I read my Bible? Every day? That that sounds like a lot. That's, That's not regularly, that's constant. What about weekly? Is once a week enough? Or... Or monthly. We have a regular first Sunday of the month gathering, so monthly's regular, right? But it's not. We're trying to simply control and put a box that we can tick. It's the wrong question. Because the question is trying to avoid an interaction of the heart. And this is not how Jesus works. And Jesus is not interested in answering this question. And we'll see that as we continue into point two, the cost of mercy. Look with me again at uh, the parable and the verses that follow. The man was going down from Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, 
But as a Samaritan traveled, he came to where the man was and saw him and took pity. You see, at the end, the Jesus then asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell at the hands of a robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Sounds like a bit of a joke as Jesus uh, tells this story, a priest, a Levite and Samaritan. I haven't come up with an ending to that joke, but that's okay. You see, uh, many of us have probably heard uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan before, but just for a bit of backstory, this is a common road that they're walking down. This is a road that a lot of religious leaders would travel uh, from the temple to where they would reside. And so it's not actually uncommon that two people have come past. And here a priest has seen a man hurt, sees him, it says he has seen. What does he do? He crosses by on the other side of the road. And what happens next? A Levite comes and does the exact same. You see, you can't miss this man. You know when a kid stubs their toe and they moan and wail and you can hear it from a block away? This man is probably in a much worse state and is more deserving of that cry. You can't miss this. Yet they've seen him and walked away. They wouldn't even risk walking on the same side of the road because they didn't want to risk being defiled and dirty because they're so clean after their temple duties. They are so caught up in the actions of the law that they have no compassion. No compassion to do what the law says. Now, if I were Jesus at this moment, I wish I had the book, but that's okay. If I were Jesus at this moment, I'd probably break out the book Going on a Bear Hunt and say, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. I'm not scared. What a beautiful day. Oh, look, a man on the side of the road. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Have to go through it. Have to help him. Oh, what a chore. But Jesus is far more eloquent. And instead, he makes matters worse for the Jewish expert. He says, a Samaritan comes by, a half-blood, a mixed race. If you know much about the Samaritans, they're a people who were kind of an amalgamation of the rest of the Jewish uh, tribes and they have mixed beliefs. Uh, Jewish despise them. They would cross the other side of the river to get away from Samaria. Yet one of these disgusting half-bloods is the one who took pity. Something the religious leaders never did. And you know what? He's so generous that he gives two denarii, which is approximately 24 days' worth of food, and offers more on his return. You see, he's not interested in dealing with that deed and being done. He's willing to come back. 
Can you imagine what the expert is thinking at this point? Because you see, the expert is far closer to the priest and the Levite, the ones who walk away. And as Jesus asks, which is my neighbor? He answers, the one that showed mercy. See, Jesus never answers the original question of who is my neighbor. But he answers how to be a neighbor. As Jesus then tells him to go and do likewise. Go and be the one who is generous. The one who expresses love and compassion. Not the one who needs to be told where the boundaries are on what love is and how it should look. Not the one who wants to reach the minimal amount of a goal-achieving compassion to make it to heaven. Instead, the one who is truly compassionate. Jesus is holding a mirror to the expert and saying, look at how you would treat this man. Look at where your heart is. You would do exactly the same as the first two men. You were as disgusting as them as they walked by a man in need to fit your beliefs. Even a Samaritan, a half-breed, he's worth more than two of you. Jesus is clear. Don't put up boundaries. It's not about law alone and legalistic box ticking. None of that will lead to inheritance because none of that will achieve the goal of eternal life that this expert is looking for. It is at the heart, in the heart that loves God and is uncompromisingly willing to love his people that leads to that life. A heart of mercy that receives inheritance. Because that box ticking is costly. It'll cost everything, but will inherit nothing. These leaders were so caught up in their religious practice they wouldn't touch something so unclean. They were putting their practice above God's command to care for his people. And in their, in their pursuit of an inheritance, they missed the fact that it is a generous gift from God, a gift of mercy and grace. A gift that shapes the heart to care. A gift that shapes the heart to love God and his people more and more. As it shapes us like the Samaritan. You see, to the expert, a neighbour is a noun, a painful person who you kind of want to avoid because you don't want to be asked to take the bins out for. But to Jesus, the neighbour is a verb. It is a way of acting out of love, without limitation, 
showing mercy. See, just like the expert is seeing here, it is costly to miss the truth, to dedicate a life to rules and law with nothing to gain. But for us, that costly inheritance has been paid for because we have Christ. We have a God who has paid paid what that inheritance cost as he went to the cross to die for our sin, for the shame and punishment we deserve. And because he paid that cost with the ultimate sacrifice, his life, we are free in Christ, free from the law, free to have relationship with this good God, free from death as Jesus took the cost of what we deserve. You see, in many ways, uh, the title of a costly inheritance is a bait and switch because for us, that cost of the inheritance is paid. The inheritance is free if we come to faith in Christ, if we trust in the God who loves us deeply. And with time, God will grow us. God will shape us that we may be more like him, that we would be able to love God with our heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbour more and more. Because that's not instant at all. Uh, we, we are sinful people and we never get it right. But we have a gracious God who is rich in mercy and forgives our failings. And this is so incredible because at times we do just want to tick the boxes. Maybe it's those times where we feel the need to pray and we don't want to, but we do it because we think that that's just a little bonus for us. Maybe it's reading the Bible and just kind of skimming over it rather than engaging with it because we just think it's meant to be done so that we can finish the Bible in the year. Maybe it's speaking to people after church that you really don't want to because you find it uncomfortable. These are all things that we do just to try and tick the box at times. And you know what? I'm using these examples because I'm guilty of them too. Are you guilty of these things? Just trying to tick a box rather than let our hearts be changed. You see, there's a baptism uh, this morning as well, and part of that baptism is a sign of what God has done in growing and raising up a child in the church. We don't want to be encouraging people to just do activities because they're meant to be done, but have hearts changed. To be growing 
all throughout life. Not just ticking the box and moving on. Not doing activities or a quantity of time, but instead focusing on the attitude. Wanting to attend. Wanting quality time with God. Deepening and growing in his word. Growing in love and knowledge of him. So that we might overflow and love those around us. We want to have this attitude of love. An attitude of overflowing Uh, 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. He first loved us. Our display of love and mercy to others is a display of God's love for us. A display that these religious leaders never showed. Friends, uh, as we close, I don't want to end on a hard note of everything's wrong because I've been truly encouraged this year that as I've shared in fellowship with many of you, I think this is a church that acts out of God's love, a family that is rooted in love and mercy, that has this mercy and love overflowing But we are continually growing. We're continually being shaped. It's the process of sanctification as we become more like Christ. Always growing. And so I want to encourage you to continue growing, continue overflowing. You see, I once heard someone say uh, that the goal is to love God more and more so that at your last day you are the closest to God than you had ever been. And now for some of you that might feel realer than others, but this is my prayer, that you would be ever growing in him, that you would be overflowing in him, that the love you have for the Lord would overflow the love with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind, that that would always be deepening, always growing. And that, the lo- that love would overflow to the people of Bombardieri and the whole Shoalhaven as we wait for the great inheritance of a kingdom ahead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a loving God, a God who gave his son so that we might inherit eternal life. We pray that you would help us to love you more and more, that we would love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength and all our mind 
and that might overflow, that we would also love our neighbour. Help us, Lord, in the times we fail and continually grow us. Amen.